The information presented is in no way to be considered as a standard of care, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. The information is provided with no guarantee. All content is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the providing of medical, legal, or regulatory advice. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Blue Crew Medicine. Uh, Today, we're going to discuss gastrointestinal bleeds or GI bleeds, uh, everybody's favorite ups and downs subject. Today, joining me with me is Davis Holiday. What's up? Uh, One of our air care flight nurses works out of Greenwood, Air Care 4, and I'm Will Appleby, one of the air care CCPs and educator for the team. So, let's get right into it. Uh, Today, we're doing a little different. It's just me and Davis. Just going to have a little conversation, uh, just talking about GI bleeds. So, real quick. Talk about upper GI bleeds and lower GI bleeds. There's a little difference. As far as the definition, upper GI bleeds, it's commonly present with hematoemesis, which is vomit of blood. It can be coffee ground. It can be bright red. Or it's melina, which is tar- uh, black tarry stools. Lower GI bleeds typically is blood originating from the rectum, down from the colon, diverticulitis kind of stuff, all those kinds of things. More common... I would say an older population. Yeah. Regular. Yeah. Um, hematoschesia, which I can never say that word right, but it's bright red blood coming from the rectum is typically lower GI bleeds. That can be one of those things that's either a really bad day or it's, hey, it's a hemorrhoid. It's nothing, nothing to worry about. It's something kind of easy to control. That being said, do we always know what if it's upper or lower? No, usually you don't really find that out till you get to definitive treatment. When you show up on these patients, you know, you may have some bleeding from the rectum, and then next thing you know, there's coffee ground emesis as well. So it's kind of a, where do we go? What, what treatment do we do? Um, which is kind of what we'll get into. But um, typically you'll show up and it'll just be a GI bleed, and you'll just kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. It, and it can originate from many different things. So it would be diverticulitis. It could be a peptic ulcer. It could be a variceal bleeding. It could be esophageal varices uh, commonly associated with alcoholics, liver disease. But any number of different things can cause GI bleeds. So it's not just one, hey, it has to be this or it has to be that. But it's common. It's super uh, fatal if you don't treat it effectively oh, yeah. and fast. Yeah, these people are ones that they'll be they'll be super stable and then all of a sudden they're not and then you're chasing your tail so you really want to kind of be prepared um have all your ducks in a row so that you can be calculated and slow things down so that you can speed up i think a lot of people blow it off honestly they're like hey you know gi bleeds okay cool it's elderly patient she just has gi bleeds she's on plavix or aspirin or whatever she's just going to have one that's one of the side effects it's really common with most medications that are anything that slows yeah and that's the thing is you'll show up and and like we said you'll You'll look at the patient and they'll be fine talking to you. And then all of a sudden they're not fine. You know, they may have that one bowel movement that pops a clot and then bam, you're, you're really up a creek without a paddle. So you get called to an outside hospital for a GI bleed. Hey, we got to transfer this patient to Jackson. We don't have any ambulance available. A lot of places are short now. So it's like, Hey, we fly them. They just mean enough. They're hemoglobins, you know, seven and a half or something like that. Hey, they need a Jackson. We need blood. We want to wait and cross match them. This, that, and the other. As far as looking at a patient, is there anything you like just say off the bat, hey, man, this is a lot sicker than somebody said it was? One thing is, so we all know hemoglobin can take some time to catch up. The ones that I feel more comfortable in are the ones that are super low, all right, because that, to me, says it's a chronic bleed, the hemoglobin's catching up, and they're still in this state that you see them as. Uh, When I walk in the room, the first thing you can 
look at from across the room assessment is skin color. Like, are they super pale? Like, do they have those cap refills? Like, are they perfusing? Um, that's something that you can easily do without even laying your hands on a patient. Just look at their skin tone. Because those ones that are that are really bleeding, they'll be pale, they'll be lethargic, kind of getting into the orthostatics kind of stuff. Um, you know, are they having trouble sitting up and they get lightheaded, that kind of stuff. A little bit ding, just not, not too much, but just, hey, they're not all the way there. Right. Those are the ones that are, it's happening quick. This is an acute thing right mm-hmm. now. I'll never forget, you know, you walk into some of those patients, you never forget the smell of GI bleeds. Oh, yeah. I, I, you can walk through the ER, it doesn't matter, one side or the other, huge level in trauma center and be like, yeah, someone's got a GI bleed. Um, but when you walk in and see somebody actively projectile vomiting and it's bright red, Okay. See, that's different. Okay. That's different. That, those are the ones that actually scare you. Yeah. Okay. That's the ones that spook me really, really bad. Yeah. But the ones that, to your point, the ones that are a little bit out of it and they're pale as a ghost and you're like, hey, those ones I'm like, all right, let's get our ducks in a row. This may not be an emergent thing right now. Let's, you know, we don't need to throw everything at them. They don't need an emergent art line, central line, lined out and all the things. But, hey, I got to watch them. Yeah. Um, so they're actively bleeding. All right. So where you you got to fix the blood to your point most of the time you don't fix it till you get a definitive center they got to get scoped somewhere up or down one of the two all we're doing is try to mitigate everything until we get there we're just trying to get to definitive care as far as blood products and administering blood a lot of people are different numbers i'll say this variceal bleeding can get bad on its fast doesn't mean they need blood right now and don't treat a number treat a patient i think a lot of people get so wrapped up around oh well, their hemoglobin is two yeah, that's bad. But the point you just brought up, that may be chronic. Right. That was slow. So don't you don't necessarily need to rush and give them. The you know. ones that scare me are you come in and they say their hemoglobin's nine or ten, and you know they're projectile vomiting, bright red blood, significant amounts. These are the ones where you'll talk to the medical senior or the ER provider, and they're like, they vomited two liters. And at first you're like, okay, yeah, two liters, whatever. Nobody has to make blood ever. But but then you see them vomit, and you're like, oh, it, it is, is two, two liters, liters of blood. <laughs> We're definitely, this This is a problem. Right. Everybody gets so wrapped around the axle with trauma and giving blood products and bounce resuscitation. Same thing here. you got to give bounce resuscitation. Um, one to one to one, I, I would honestly just go with the proper trial and go with the same thing. But permissive hypotension. What are your thoughts on permissive hypotension in GI bleed? I think it's big time in these. Um, if you give too much blood products you're going to, especially let's talk about a variceal bleed, right? Somebody that's cirrhotic, they're going to have some significant coagulopathy stuff going on. Um, So if you give them too much blood and the pressure gets too high, you're almost causing a problem where they're going to not be able to clot off. You're busting clots. They're going to bleed more. And then you're kind of chasing your tail the whole time. So the permissive hypertension and the hypotension in these people is is pretty much key. I think a lot of people, we've, had Dr. Zaza on and he gave us a finally gave me a number very few trauma surgeons ever give me a number I think the same thing is true GI bleed somewhere between a map of 50 and 65 where they're at least maintaining enough if you don't have to take their airway if that's if that's a concern if you you have that if you have that patient that's riding that line I think the balance resuscitation to mentation is is what you want to go with yeah that was my point you don't want to focus on numbers so much right everybody these are the patients you can't focus on numbers and if you give them, oh, well, they they normally live at a blood pressure of 140. They got hypertension. They're on, you know, the bag full of medicine. We walk in the door like, hey, here's their meds. And you're like, I don't have time to look through all that. Just tell me something important. Like, are they on thinners or not? 
Well, their blood pressure is 140 over 90 normally. So I got to titrate to that. You'll kill them. Exactly. You'll, yeah, you'll, you'll absolutely. Make everything 10 times worse. Talking a little about variceal bleeds. Again, those are, those are the ones to me that I get more excited or worked up about. Like, all right, let's get really proactive with treatment. A couple things real fast. You want to try to suppress the acid in the stomach to make everything worse. So protonics. Um, a few years ago, everything kind of changed for a lot of people. It used to be you give a protonics bolus and then you hang an infusion behind it and back it off. And then we've kind of gone with this bolus mentality of every 12 hours, if they need it, hit them with 80 protonics and call it a day. What are your thoughts on the on the bolus? Um, I like the bolus just for the fact of if you get up a creek with these patients and they're actively trying to die on you, access is limited usually. Um, you give the bolus and you don't think about it. You know, from your, especially in the transport world, you know, I give that bolus and it's out of my mind. I've given the protonics, you know, what have you. Um, the infusion will just tie up a line where, you know, you may need to give blood. You may need to give some type of vasoactive medication um, that you can't because you got the protonics. Because a lot of those PPIs, they, they're just not really compatible with some stuff. So it's easy to just bolus it and get, get it out of the way. Be done with it. Be call, call it off. Um, going back to vasoactive medications, as far as variceal bleeding. So the big one on everybody's list is like triotide or sandestatin. So not always available. And the reason why is it's got to be refrigerated. The common misconception is that, you know, when you start talking about GI bleeds, well, everybody needs sandestatin. It's a great drug, but it's not always available because it has to be refrigerated. Um, even for us here, it's a rapid pull. What do you, what makes you pull the trigger on sandestatin or octreotide? versus going down another road. Anytime our call comes in for a GI bleed, I grab it. Because like we said earlier, I don't know what kind of GI bleed it is. And when I get on scene or to the hospital, you can kind of get some more information out of people. Anytime I go get a GI bleed, and you can, honestly, even if it's a lower GI bleed, you're not going to hurt anybody by giving octreotide. Uh, so I go ahead and grab it, and just that way I have it. And if I don't use it, you know, I can put it back. When we talk about a triotide, biggest thing it does is it inhibits, it inhibits the release of vasodilator hormones like with glucagon. And so it makes everything kind of clamp back down. So nothing is, you look at your gut, you know, if you if you ever go to surgery, go to the OR and watch them run one, man, everything dilates out, dilates the vessels out. So what do you do when you dilate out? You bleed more. Well, think about how varices are formed, right? You got the cirrhotic patients, they got portal hypertension. You're decreasing that portal flow. I mean, that's essentially it. You're just decreasing that portal flow. Um, it, it does nothing but help you in these patients. And as far as the dosing, everybody, just so we set the record straight, you give the bolus 50, 50 mics, yep. and then you hang infusion behind it. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it comes in 100 mic vial, so it's real easy. The only problem is it's a 100 mic vial, so if you got a long way to go, 50 mics an hour, you just burn it. Right. It doesn't always hurt to grab two. <laughs> Depends on where you're going. Fun fact, too, with octreotide, it also inhibits the pancreas natural ability to screen insulin. So watch your sugar on these folks their body is not going to be bolusing their own insulin so uh, it can cause people to be hyperglycemic to the point where they'll get in dka so just be mindful of that kind of when you hand that patient off hey they're on octreotide watch their sugar they may need to get on a sliding scale of insulin just fun fact on that and same point if you're pulling somebody have an icu do an icu to icu well they've been on triotide we couldn't get a bed for 48 hours they've been on triotide they're kind of trending their sugars hey we've been watching it it went from you know started at 197 now we're at 300 now we're at 600 hey have you guys been giving them anything to balance everything out and they're like no not really we just didn't you know well they maybe they're undiagnosed diabetic and you're like no that's no that's just something you need to watch out for because it really is it really is a 
it's a really good at managing sugar levels for people who have overdosed on their type 2 diabetic medication. So it's an off-label use for it. So just be mindful that your sugars will start increasing on these patients. I would gladly say everybody on this entire team's favorite drug, vasopressin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> vasopressin is um, awesome. We, we give it about like candy here. Yep. The uh, vasopressin is, wh- what's your trigger to pull it with the GI bleed? I treat how we talked about pretty much anybody you think bright red blood or variceal bleeding, you're going to do it, but vaso. So if you think about how vaso works, right, you're clamping down specifically on your mesenteric arteries. So it's almost like just redneck medicine here. You got somebody who's shot in the arm and you put pressure on it. It's almost like what you're doing with vasopressin for these GI bleeders. You're putting a clamp specifically where they need it. Um, so my trigger for vaso on these guys is pretty soft. I mean, like I will absolutely early on start them on vaso because that may be somebody that you don't end up needing to give blood because what do they say? Resuscitate to a hemoglobin of seven, right, with blood. So you can get to definitive treatment with vaso alone, really. Um, so mine's really soft. That, and it works well in acidotic environments, which a lot of these patients, especially the ones that are sitting there that, hey, honestly, a lot of these GI bleed patients, they're embarrassed to go to the hospital. I don't blame them. I get it. You know, hey, man, I've had blood in my stools for like the last week. I don't want to tell nobody. I mean, I get it. Um, or I've been throwing up blood. I'm a little embarrassed by it. Oh, it's just a flu. I've been throwing up a lot. Nothing major or whatever. They get so behind the eight ball. Now they have the septic component that goes along with it. We'll talk about boat juice in here in a minute. But Vaso to me is one of those drugs that works well as an adjunct to anybody bleeding, but it works well to just clamp everything down, like you said. Um, make it where there's nothing that's leaking out that you can't. You may be, I won't say you're going to stop the bleeding, but you may slow it down pretty good. Yeah. As far as dosing for Vaso, you know, we give it push dose pressure all the time, one to two units at a time. But for GI bleeds, it's one of those you start out at 0.04, a lot of people do. But if you're really behind the eight ball, there's no reason you can't go to 0.4 units per minute. See, and I always start on the higher end and back down with pressors. Um, with narcotics, that's different. But with pressors, I start on the higher end and back down. Um, I'll start these patients on the GI people with vaso. I start them at 0.2, just empirically. I can always back them down to 0.04. I can go up to 0.4 if I need to, but I start right there in a higher, like a middle upper range for my patients. Well, and you think about it, you do the math. After five minutes, they've had an entire unit. Right. So they're, they're getting a pretty good bit. Now, I, I like the way you think of it, especially because you worry about some of these. Again, we're talking about older population. A lot of times they may have some myocardial ischemia or something like that that could get associated with it. If they have a really sick heart that you don't know about, you walk in the door, you're just actually resuscitating somebody. You don't want to take it off anymore you already have. Um, I'm with you. I start high. Yeah. Every time I start high. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just what I do. I start yeah. high on, on, the, on the vasoactive medications. And kind of once you get on board, though, a lot of times with vaso, you can just back it off. Exactly. Back it up to 0.04 or yeah. 0.08, and everything's Super chill. easy drug to titrate. Let's talk a little bit about the septic component. So any harm, in your opinion, in giving antibiotics? No, because the majority of GI bleeds are going to be some type of ulcer, right? And you're, you're emptying stomach contents into a place where it's not supposed to be. So there's going to be an infection risk associated with that. Um, antibiotics, I think you're fine. Just go ahead and give them, to be honest with you. It's it's never bad to be proactive. I get some people want counselors and this, that, and the other, but I think it's going to take too long to really knock it out. Just give you something, you know, broad spectrum coverage, gram positive, gram negative. 
most of the stuff's going to be gram negative. Um, you know, if you've got cefepime or whatever available, uh, bank, all the, all the fun things. But to your point earlier, man, it's, it's easy to tie up a line with a vent confusion. Yeah, it is. Um, in an ideal world, you would have the sending facility go ahead and start that. So by the time we arrive, it's either almost done or done. Getting there. Yeah. Something a lot of people forget about with GI bleeds. We've, we've preached this for the last couple of years with trauma is thinners, 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 thinners. What's their coags look like? Um, tags are now on the market, although getting a tag at a rural hospital is pretty much out of this picture. But you can at least get a PTINR, a PTT commonly. But knowing if they're on thinners to reverse them. So, you know, hey, if they're actively bleeding, give them something to slow it down. If they're, if they're on Coumadin, fix your eye on arm, man. Yeah, I don't see the harm in reversing these patients. Um, with the cirrhotic patients, they're, they're going to have some jacked up coags. Um, I, I truly, I don't see the harm in going ahead and, and reversing these patients, you know, I mean, because we, our program specifically carries, you know, we can check it at the bedside. So it's a quick fix. I think a lot of times you worry about risk benefit, like, hey, what are they on Xarelto? What are they on Coumadin for? Is it for their heart valve or whatever? Yeah. And I think that plays into it, but you can't. We're talking about the sick GI bleed. Yeah, the, the we're little, talking about the time where we're trying to get these people to definitive treatment. And if it buys you an hour to where they can go get the problem fixed, I say do it. I, I think a lot of times anybody actively getting blood, is that's the time for me to say, hey, I mean, I'm going to ask what their coags are anyway, but if that's what I'm, all right, let's pull it out of the pocket. Let's let's get out of the bag. Let's do four-factor PCC and go from there and figure out what they're on. I, that and what are, like, these people are typically, like, older population. They got some polypharmacy going on. What is the majority of those drugs going to say it can cause GI bleeding? So it's if it's something that you can reverse, do it. Yeah, just fix it. Then. Something else is I want to kind of get into, you're talking about factors and treating the bleeding and this, that, and the other. One of the things a lot of people worry about is thrombocytopenia. they got low platelet count. They're going to continue to bleed. Everything looks like water. It's not working well. Uh, what are your thoughts on desmopressin, DDAVP? I think it's great. So you get the synthetic vasopressin component, which we've already talked about, and then you also are going to get your factor eight with that as well. Uh, so you're doing nothing but helping these patients with DDAVP. I know the research is still lacking there, but in my mind, I, I think it would work. I don't see why it would not work. I'm pulling it straight out of that head study, man, that you can't – the patients that are on the antiplatelets and all that kind of stuff where they're given 0.3 mics um, up to 30, man, how, how would it not benefit – especially in these patient population, how does yeah. it not benefit you? Low platelet count or they're on something like that. Yeah, I think it's a super good drug for those head, head patient populations, and I don't see why it wouldn't be able to bridge over to your GI too because you're getting – twofold of something that you need so everybody's favorite drug in trauma these days mainly because it's cheap and it's on every ambulance i think just about in the state of mississippi for sure they can get it txa yeah um the study the studies just aren't there for it yeah um, i think it, man it was unfortunate i was i was banking on it i was like oh cool we're gonna give txa for everybody everybody's gonna oh, get it all you the would time. think you would think just looking at the label uses that it man like this is gonna be the drug that we need but the crash studies just didn't really show any any improvement in gi bleeds and, and nothing worked out i mean it really was like we were given it here um we had a protocol for it hey you can give it for gi bleeds that and the other doing the one gram and then the the infusion behind it and i never 
I mean, I granted, we're not always going to see benefit out of TXA by itself. Most of the time we're doing this whole resuscitation picture, but the studies aren't there, Just it, which is unfortunate because I'm, I'm a big fan of TXA every day of the week. Kind of working our way around. So we've talked a lot about drugs, and I think it's a lot of things with GI bleeds, you, it's it's all about pharmacology because it's something you can't see. It's not like you can put it, you can't put a tourniquet on it, right? Now we're doing it with vasopressin, but you can't like physically put a tourniquet on it. When you talk about these patients, most of the patient we just talked about is somebody that's, yeah, they're going to the ICU or they're getting blood, but they're not like actively getting resuscitated to the point of, hey, they don't have a map, they don't have a blood pressure, this, that, and the other. When we talk about resuscitating this GI bleeds, because when they do get that sick, you start pulling out the push dose phase of, you start pulling out the, hey, we're going to start going on pressors, you're on norepi, this, that, and the other. What's your airway management look like for you? So... That's the thing. These patients, when they tank, they tank quick. And there's a component of, which we'll get into later, NG tube placement. The airway management is key because when these people vomit, it's a problem. Um, If their mentation is not there and they're vomiting, you want to have that airway in. It's kind of, it's a look at your patient type deal where you want to assess your patient that you're on. um, But if you have any if your gut is telling you that they're not going to be able to manage this airway, take it quick. Because when they start that vomiting, it's a problem. And I mean, it's it's one of those things you, you don't, they're getting stomach contents and clots and blood and everything else that's about to go in the airway. You talk about an arts picture or somebody said yeah. with pneumonitis here in a minute. I mean, that's. Yeah, I mean, and that's, a, you. we had a case just this last week that you were involved in where that's exactly what happened. I mean, he. He vomited and and he had coffee ground emesis down in his airways and he was an absolute nightmare to ventilate. They, as far as the the, the airway component, you know, you worry about okay, hey, when you walk in the door, it's one of those airway is a decision you're going to make more than likely, like you said, looking at your gut. Most people here, it's I, I, I've seen a lot of patients with a similar disease process. I kind of know how this is going to go. Hey, let's be proactive before they aspirate or if they've already aspirated. But looking around the room, hey, have they vomited bright red stuff? Do I think this is a various, like truly an esophageal varices? Is this about to be an airway nightmare? Setting yourself up for success with that, man. Like one thing I learned a while back was, you know, you talk about leaning the head of the bed up 30 degrees on everybody you intubate just to make your life a little bit easier. These patients, I do it every single time. Oh, yeah. And it's mainly just because you don't know where that blood's coming from. How do you know that blood's not going to pull up in the back of their esophagus? And now when you laid them flat, boom you're you you can't see squat you can suction all you want you can do the decano thing you can shove it in there and pray but. well that's the thing is when these people start vomiting on you the suction is not powerful enough i don't care what kind of suction you got it's it's not gonna be enough it ain't that pull start thing out back it's one of them water pumps it ain't gonna work no, no. <laughs> i mean I, these are the patients that i had one that was so bad one time here working nights we got called down we were it was back when we were in the hospital and we get called, hey, we, we can't get this airway. We can we can oxygenate and ventilate them, but they're they're not down. They can't control their own airway. We're bagging them. We got them sitting up. Hey, can you guys, you got any other tricks up your sleeve to kind of help them out? And we ended up doing a retrograde on this guy. One of the few retrogrades I've ever done. And it worked, but that was because you had to have him sitting up. Because if you didn't, the second you laid him less than 20 degrees, man, there's blood just pouring out. I mean, you couldn't clamping it down. It's just one of the things it took a whole lot of teamwork to try to, like, hey, how do we manage? Also, I read, I'm going to see what your thoughts are on this. All right, so you got a patient, I'll run this by you, got a patient that 
you go to intubate, let's say you lay in them flat, they start vomiting. I read a study saying maybe Trendelenburg this patient to let gravity work for you and that they don't aspirate any of this vomit. What do you think about that? I think gravity's a thing. 9.8 meters per second squared, you know, don't, never stops. But I think it might, you know, you might get some vomit out of the way. Okay, yeah, their stomach contents, their gastric contents are gone. But if they're actively bleeding, you're not going to stop the blood. The blood's going to keep on going. Yeah. All you did was just make everything where the blood's easier to get out now. So there's nothing to tamponade, nothing to help clot it, nothing else there. I don't. I, yeah, I don't, I'd, I'd be hesitant. I'd more likely sit them up. I don't know. When, whenever you're in that situation, yeah, it's, it's it's never a fun time. Uh, I'm just thinking about throwing anything you can to try to avoid that aspiration component of what you're fixing to get into. That being said, I've heard some people back in the day uh, they've talked about. I mean, I've done it in a different situation, put in a left lateral incumbent. So they're you know they're puking like they normally did. And RSI, paralyze them, knock them out, and intubate them right where they are. If you can do it that way and get a view, maybe they work well now with VL versus DL. I think DL in that situation, I mean, you're just, they're kind of 90 degree headlining somebody, cool, whatever. But um, I don't know if that's necessarily patient safety minded. Oh, it's interesting thought, though. I don't know. I think back to taking the airway in general, I, I would hope that, and it doesn't happen every time, I would hope that in that situation that we would have already taken this airway when, when you're getting into that. I think a lot of it, it's better to be proactive than reactive always. As far as um, pharmacology and everything else, a lot of people say, hey, you know, you got a really active GI bleed. I'm going to do delayed sequence intubation. They like to use that fun term all the time. I don't know. You you give ketamine. I like ketamine. Um not for not for this patient though. If I'm taking this airway, I want to take it as quick as possible, especially in somebody that's a variceal intubation. You you want you want your most skilled intubator and you want it to be quick. You know, cuz the the more you delay and the more you you know kind of sit around in this airway, that's just a ticking time bomb. I don't uh I don't disagree with you at all there. I, I think it's one of those, you just, you made the decision, cool, let's make the decision, let's go with it. Uh, there you can talk about the catecholamine release of ketamine too. I, I, some people, that's all you got. That's only, a, you know, adjunct you have for payment and sedation, whatever, but. Um, I don't know. I just don't think that the delayed is appropriate in this one because think about why you're taking the airway, right? Like you're worried about that they're not going to be able to manage their secretions if they start vomiting. Uh, and the more time you're sitting there like, hey, we're going to give them ketamine, let them breathe on their own, all that kind of stuff. I, I, it's, it's not for me. I'm, I'm the same way. A lot of people say, hell, well, we're going to bronch them. We're going to nasally intubate them. Makes GI's life easier. I don't I don't doubt that. I mean, it, I'm sure it does. Watching the scopes I've seen in the ER and up in, the, up in surgery, but the GI lab. Yeah, it makes their life easier, but we're talking about getting the airway to get them to the definitive care. If they want to swap it out later, cool. But if you're dealing with something with bloody vomit and this, that, and the other, every time I've dealt with a camera lens, it never is a good thing. And once you get something on that camera, I mean, <laughs> man, it, it ain't it ain't coming. It doesn't just wipe off. No, know? no. I mean, these are the patients I like. I I still go old school. You, if I know it's a GI bleed or I know it's esophageal varices, especially, I'll put that soak tape on the blade. I ain't scared, just so I can get a little bit of control of the tongue. Those. Those kind of things, I, I prep myself. These are the patients I really prep myself. At, hey, it's not going to be a difficult airway until I probably get in there. Um, it's usually not anatomy. Sometimes it is. but it's, Now, are we still taking time to hyperoxygenate these people? Yeah. Yes, 100%. That's not what I'm saying by, like, don't muck around in the airway. But 
um, still hyperoxygenate, but I, I just don't think the delayed is appropriate. And to that point, though, a lot of people use BiPAP as their oxygenation source and positive pressure. What are your thoughts on using positive pressure with the GI bleed? Uh, no, <laughs> just because, I mean, the, have, have you ever put on a BiPAP? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just, we've all done it just for fun. And it's a lot of pressure. And think about, you're to the point where you want to intubate this patient and you're going to put them on BiPAP. They're not mentating appropriately, but what is their stomach doing? It's filling up with blood. And so they're going to vomit eventually. And if they do it with that BiPAP on their face, it's a problem. I mean, it's going to be an issue. So I, I just would go with the nasal cannula wide open and, and get it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, get it that way. There's a lot of people that are, uh, I've seen a couple instances where they use even phenarin as part of their induction process. It gives it a little bit of sedation, takes the edge off property, but may reduce some of the vomiting. Um, I, th- I think that works a little bit. I don't know. I don't really buy it totally. Yeah, because, I mean, in, in my mind... <sighs> Their stomach's filling up with with blood and whatever if it's an upper bleed, and it's just going to be a volume issue. And there's, they're eventually going to have to evacuate that volume somehow. Um, and I, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not sure that the Finnegan would would help you much. It may just make them feel like they don't have to. Kind of yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it's delaying the inevitable. They're going to eventually have to evacuate that stomach content. So let's talk about the patient. You get them intubated. Hey, we established the blood pressure. We walked in the door. They had a blood pressure 60 over 30. Everything's squat. All right, cool. We got them on vaso. Probably put them on levo. Trying to figure out where they are. Start, hey, this patient obviously needs blood. We start resuscitating them. Give them some LP. Give them a little plasma. Give them some PRPCs behind it. We got them intubated. Cool. Now let's stick that NG or OG in them. Where, where, where's your thoughts there? Okay, hold on. Let's back up for a second. Before we intubate this patient, Here's the thought process behind the, the NGOG. You put it in prior to intubation to evacuate that stomach contents we've been talking about. It makes sense in that way, right? But how many times, I've seen it, you've seen it, where you put that NG in and you pop a varicy and then you've got a real problem on your hands. Um, and then does this hospital have a Blakemore has it been in the basement for 20 years? I mean, how expired is it? It's not, it's, 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 how expired yeah, it's inevitably going to be like, when was the expiration date? So I, it makes me nervous. Um, in, in theory, yes, it makes sense, but it makes me real nervous. High pucker factor on that one for sure. Um, honestly, this is one where I would kind of defer to med control. If you have that option, just because whatever you look at the studies, there's going to be, both sides of the fence. You're going to say NG is fine, and then you're going to find one that says don't do it, definitively don't do it. Um, I think it's patient-dependent. If you know what kind of bleed they have and it's not a variceal bleed, sure, go for it. Um, but we're talking about the patients where you show up, you don't know, and that makes me nervous. And you walk in and you're immediately resistant to somebody. Yeah, that, that, those are the ones where I would say don't do it. Um, and just kind of wait till you get to a definitive treatment center where they know exactly what kind of bleed it is and let them handle it. Um, or they can scope it, put it in, watch what they're doing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. When, you're, when you're doing stuff without being able to see, you can really make your day worse by doing that in G-tube. I think the biggest thing for me is you don't want to disrupt any clot. If there's a clot there, it's okay, cool, but don't make my Because once you have them intubated, you know, if they vomit, what's the problem? You know, you're not... 
you're not going to get any aspirate there. Yeah. But until that's in place, you know, hang tight. And, sing and then you just, so, and then you just revert back to, okay, that's why you take their airway early. Get the stomach contents out, make sure they don't, we're just trying to prevent morbidity mortality. Man. Go, right. down, go on the road. You mentioned Blakemore's in Minnesota tubes. Sometimes that's voodoo. Most of the ER residents, and I, we did a tour for the ER interns yesterday. If you were to say, hey, we're going to go insert a Blakemore in a set tube, every one of them is going to be warm in the room. Because um, it doesn't get done. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen. Um, I've been a part of several here, uh, mainly because, honestly, I spent the time, somebody said, mentioned a Minnesota to me one time, and I'm like, all right, what the, you know. Somebody mentioned something in front of me, and I don't know what it is. I'm going to go find out. So the next time somebody mentions that I can be like, all right, I can be a part of this conversation and understand a little better. So I've been a part of them when I wasn't at UMC. Okay. And it's a situation of when you're sending adjunct staff to UMC to get the only one that they have. And then you get to the facility we were at and nobody knows, like if the doctor has seen one put in, it was a long time ago. And it, when you're, when you're up that road, when you're talking about putting in those tubes, <laughs> it's a bad day. When you read the instructions, it says, "Do you have a football helmet available?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's that's one of those is like, "Hey, is this a medieval torture device, or does this actually work?" Um, that being said, they work great if you know how to put them in and you're familiar with them, and it's and you take your time with it, and it's a slow process. Works great. Minnesota tubes and Blakemore, obviously, after you get them intubated, it's somebody you can't control the bleeding in. They literally have kind of a Mount Vesuvius thing but honestly all it is when you when you open the kit up and you really start there and play with it to me it looks like a huge either balloon pump or a foley balloon all you're doing is pushing against the esophageal wall and you're tamponing something you're just putting pressure on it and something you normally couldn't compress um the catch with it is if you ever get called somewhere and you got to transport somebody to definitive sarah and they've got a blakemore or a minnesota tube in it's all about tension so you got to keep tension on everything, and it's it's a challenge. You just hope you never get to that situation. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, never transported one on that. I've seen plenty. I've helped transport in the ICU. Yeah, again, hopefully, best case scenario, you're not putting that NG tube in because undoubt everyone I've put in, that's been the reason why we put an NG tube in, popped a variceal, and then we're off to the races. Uh, hopefully, you're managing your patient medically before that and you never get to that but it is it is an available treatment it's it's, it's a thing um again we're, we're talking about all we're trying to do is mitigate effects and keep your patient alive basically until you get to definitive care until you get to a gi lab where they can go down there figure out what it is put some clamps on it chill it out and stop it now it depends on which end of the scope on but that's basically what we're trying to do so kind of wrap this up a little bit you think about acid suppression Protonic, simple, easy drug. Bolusum, call it a day. Uh, Want to mention you can give protonics to kids. I know that's a common misconception, but you can do it. I don't know why that's a thing, but it's a thing. And when we children's hospital, we get to go pick up the kids. We'll have GI bleeds as well, which is not entirely uncommon. And they're like, "Oh, we can't give protonics because it's a kid. It's just a PPI, man." Now am I going to probably call make control and make sure that's what PSGI wants? Yeah, but. They may have some cocktail of things, but yeah, give it all day long. Um, Atriotide, super simple, super easy drug, bolus, 50 mics, and the infusion behind it, 50 an hour, which you can titrate off if you really need to. If you, hey, it's not upper GI bleed, it's not very steel bleed, you can back it off. You're not going to. 
that's the big the big takeaway there. Vaso, anybody that's kind of got a soft pressure or you want to just clamp that gut down. What what do you, if you got a normal tensive patient and they're GI bleed? Do you go ahead and hang Vaso? Even at the point well, of well, Okay, so what's your definition of normal? Yeah, that's a fun question. So you've got somebody that's got a uh, chronic hypertensive. Their blood pressure is one forty over eighty five, and their heart rate's eighty six. They're a little bit pale. They're, I'm not going to get mad for somebody suggesting it. I personally, right there, I probably wouldn't yet. But if you say, "Hey, I'm going to turn it on at like point oh one or something," I, I would, I, yeah, just to just to have it because I mean, you can always titrate it off. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally pull the trigger right there, but yeah, you, you can always turn it off. That's kind of take one point. Hey, it never hurts. At least have it in your back pocket and think about it. Yeah, and that's the thing, like. These patients, these GI patients, they're good until they're not. You know, they'll have that bowel movement, and then all of a sudden, they're bleeding. And instead of chasing your tail, that's these are the patients where you want to have all your ducks in a row. You want to have that airway bag ready. You want to have your vasonoctriotide ready so that when that happens, it's not, oh, my gosh, where where's my vaso at? You already have it in your pocket ready to go. And then bounce resuscitation with these folks. So make sure you're, you know, if you got plasma, give it to them. FFP, LP, whatever you got. Hit them with the plasma. Hit them with PRBCs. Try to do the one-to-one. Um, if you've got platelets, great, man. Cryo, awesome if they, you know, warranted. And then, again, this is off-label, but DDABP, I, it's going to be in one of my pockets. I mean, as, as far as, uh, hey, man, y'all got some DDABP? Why do you want it? Well, it's platelet count's 90. Yeah, I'll be really excited when we start carrying DDAVP. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, man. And then, always simple question, if anybody's bleeding, hey, are they on thinners? What's their coags look like? They're on RS10? Cool. Let's fix that real fast. Simple things make your life easier, help, help slow down that bleeding a little bit, give them a little factor back. Yep, best you can, trend their mentation, take that airway if you need to, don't be afraid to. Um, it, again, not every GI patient is going to need an ICU. They, you know, a lot of them go to the floor. They do just fine. They put them on octreotide. They no, the I think I think the majority of this conversation has been the absolute critical GI bleed, the ones where you show up and they are sick as stink and you are really having to go through some resuscitation. But if you practice on every patient you get. Yeah, and it, it goes back to being prepared because, like I said, these patients are fine until they're not. And then as, as soon as you're not prepared, that's when you're going to be in a load of trouble. Just have all have all your ducks in a row, ready to go and roll. So cool, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Happy to do it. All right, guys. That was GI bleeds.